Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Wow, what a sweet time of worship. Um, that was awesome. A little different feel uh, this morning in our worship, and I uh, absolutely loved it and appreciated it. And then of course, for me, I'm thinking through the songs and uh, their words and the lyrics, and it just really matches our scripture this morning. Uh, so uh, kudos to you guys for not doing that on purpose. But um, I mean, the Spirit of, Lord, uh, Spirit of the Lord is at work. This morning, we will be in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Um, you guys can uh, kind of make your way there uh, in uh, the Bible, and we'll be ready to jump into that in a minute. Um, just kind of want to take a little introduction here and uh, uh, just say this. My family and I were watching a movie this past week. Um, hopefully it's a movie maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't. Um, it's uh, called Father of the Bride. Anyone seen, seen those movies? Yeah, a couple, you know. There's two of them. We watched the second one. Of course, we've watched the first one plenty of times. It's um, kind of almost chick flicky, but you know, you just just work with me for a minute. Um, two movies of them: Father of the Bride. Of course, they're they're really just kind of these cute, happy, like feel good '90s music or movies, right? Uh, they they open up. There's all this dialogue. Um, of course, Steve Martin. He's kind of the main character. Hysterical guy. He's also a really good musician. Um, he plays the main character, George George Banks, and um, you know he's always got this dialogue where you just hear his voice, and there's this classic sort of '90s music in the background, and all the cinematography is always just kind of very happy feeling. Um, and that's really kind of the, the gist of the movie is that um, you know the Banks family lives this like happy life, and it's almost just like this kind of picture perfect life. Um, and of course, uh, you know George George Banks. We kind of uh, unwrap his his character, he's, he's very orderly, and he, they kind of, you know, set up, they kind of explain the story, set up their family, right? They're like the perfect little family. They kind of have a really good marriage. Um, they live in this quaint little town, almost like suburb, but kind of almost like small town, and they have this perfect little house. Um, they have successful careers. Um, of course, I'm not going to go into all the details of the movie, but, um, you know, he owns his own shoe company, and then really to put the cherry on top, um, he drives around in this like perfect little vintage convertible sportster, right? So he's just a very orderly guy. His life, what we might kind of take away from this is like we see that, and um, wow, he, they're really happy, right? He kind of, maybe what we could call, he's living a very blessed life. Of course, the, the whole point of the movie, though, is what? You know, his perfect life, it all gets disrupted, right? And changes, life changes. We all experience this as well. So it's very relatable. But just everything that he has going on in this perfect little life he created um, really kind of gets undone. And the whole, you know, the, the catch of the whole movie where you get drawn into is really uh, George has all of this interpersonal kind of turmoil and just this chaos in his life because he has now got to figure out 
how to make his life perfect again. How he had it before is just very happy. It was very um, almost ideal uh, life and family. And of course, the plot lines are similar in the first movie and the second movie. They deal with different things. But the first movie ends, of course, as soon as he gets his life back together. The second movie comes, and now it's a whole new set of family issues. And they've got to kind of pull it all back together again. Um, in the movie, of course, um, they, they make it all work, and it's all happy, right? Um, but um, we really can relate to this. We can relate to these plot lines, these ideas. We can relate to George Banks even of uh, seeing this and really wanting this happy, blessed life. And that kind of just feels good all the time. Um, and that kind of leads us to our text uh, this morning. We kind of will be dealing with similar um, ideas here about being happy and being blessed. Um, but we'll be in Psalm 1, and I hope today we can take a journey with the scriptures and really tackle this issue of being blessed. So let's read the text, um, if you would, and uh, stand with me, and we will be uh, reading this entire psalm, Psalm 1, 1 through 6. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Verse 4. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You may be seated, and would the Lord bless the reading and the proclamation of his word. Uh, so very quickly, I really want to give a brief, very brief introduction to uh, kind of where we're at this morning in the book of Psalms. Um, I love the Psalms. I think many of us do. Um, and the book of Psalms really is one of the most unique books in the entire Bible. Um, let me give you a few reasons uh, why. The Psalter, the Psalms, also known as the Psalter, uh, the Psalter uh, is known as the book of praises. Okay? It's really intended to be sung. These psalms are intended to be sung with musical accompaniment. Okay, so we have really no other book in the entire Bible that's really just a song book. It's filled with songs and prayers that are really meant for worship. That makes it uh, pretty unique. Um, it's also the longest book in the entire Bible. There's 150 psalms, um, and within that, it has the longest chapter in the entire Bible, that's Psalm 119. It also has the shortest chapter in the entire Bible. That's Psalm uh, 117. Out of every other book in Scripture, uh, the Psalms has the most amount of authors who contributed to it. So you have 150 Psalms. Those are all kind of compiled together, and we have uh, a ton of different authors. And out of every other book, there are no, there's no other book with that many authors. We have uh, King David, of course, uh, Solomon, Moses, the sons of Korah. Uh, those are to name a few, and then uh, we also have many psalms where uh, we don't really know who wrote them, 
Uh, and so we throw that into the mix. It has the most amount of authors who contributed to its compilation. Um, and along with this, this would kind of make sense then, it also took the longest to write. Out of every other book in the Bible, the Psalms took the longest to write. Uh, so if Moses, he's kind of, that's our oldest Psalm that we have in our Psalter. Uh, we start with Moses, that's a Psalm 90. And then we go all the way really through Israel post-exile. We have like a thousand years uh, that this book of Psalms took uh, to compile a thousand years of writing. So it took the longest to write. Uh, now, all of these are really just kind of fun facts. Um, it's great info. It's, it's cool to know. But here's really the good stuff about, about the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms um, is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Okay, so uh, between, you know, Jesus and his disciples, we became the apostles. We have the uh, all the authors of the New Testament. Um, in the New Testament, out of every other book they quoted from the Old Testament, they quoted the Psalms the most. I think that should definitely give us pause and really kind of look into that. This must be uh, really kind of important. Um, and they obviously thought it was really essential. So it's the most quoted book in the New Testament. And here's the best for last. Okay, the best thing about the Psalms, the Psalms contain the most prophecies about the Messiah. So out of every other Old Testament book, the Psalms talk the most about who the Messiah will be, what he will be like. Of course, we know that to be who? Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, and the Son of Man. So the Psalter, all that being said, very, very unique book, um, and it has a special place, I think, with all of us. Um, so that's kind of the book. Let's go to a little bit, just really brief, some immediate context, Psalm 1 um, and Psalm 2. That's where we'll be this morning in Psalm 1. Um, these two Psalms, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, are really kind of considered a literary unit. Okay, so this is within Jewish kind of tradition um, as well as through the early church. We read Psalm 1 and we read Psalm 2 and we say these things go together. They kind of inform each other and, and help us know what's going on. Um, of course, this morning, we won't be diving into Psalm 2, kind of don't have enough time for that, um, but know that in my study this week, Psalm 2 has informed my understanding of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is what we call a wisdom psalm. Um, it is also known as the gateway psalm to the entire book. Okay, so Psalm 1 really sets the stage to what the entire psalms are about. And then some could even argue that Psalm 1 uh, really touches on uh, a very important, maybe essential theme of the entire Bible. It's a gateway psalm. Um, psalm 2 is what we call a royal psalm. Uh, this talks about the coronation of the king, and of course it's very messianic, meaning it's kind of very necessarily talking and pointing us towards uh, the true king, which would be Jesus. Finally, uh, King David is the author of our psalm this morning. He wrote Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. David has been called elsewhere the sweet psalmist of Israel. That's 2 Samuel chapter 23. He is the chief author of the psalms, writing about 75 of the 150 psalms. So that is our very brief introduction to a very large book um, but we never want to take it out of context. We kind of want to know where we're at in Scripture. And one more thing for this morning, um, I just want to kind of give us some direction. We will be walking through this text 
text exegetically. This is how we typically preach on Sunday mornings. I will go through uh, all, all six verses, verse by verse. We'll kind of unpack them, the words that are being used, um, and hopefully we'll explain them. Um, but then maybe somewhat differently, we'll kind of work our way through the text maybe a second time, uh, what I'm calling maybe a bit more theologically. Um, that's probably not technical, uh, but it's what I'm calling it. So we'll kind of do it that way. Um, and so without uh, uh, waiting any longer, let's get to it. We will jump into our exegesis of the text. What does God's word say this morning? So we'll start in verse one. How blessed is the man? Okay, this is, of course, an acclamation, right? This is, uh, this is, this is a shout. This is not a question. Uh, how blessed is he? Kind of question mark. No, no, this is an, this is an acclamation. We are now, uh, we see this, this man and he is blessed and this is gonna be uh, the main thing. Oh, how blessed is he? right? Uh, wow, he is blessed. Uh, so what, what does this mean? We, we see this word blessed here, and I think in our day, in our culture, we can, we can think of a lot of things, but blessed here uh, in, in the Bible, in the text, uh, really literally means to be happy, okay? The CSB translation uh, does well as it reads, how happy is the one, how blessed is the man. We understand this blessedness uh, really to mean satisfaction, joy, true happiness. Okay, so this isn't really just a thing that kind of makes you feel happy. We're really talking about a blessed man, um, which means happy, but not a superficial sort of a happiness. Um, we could look at this to be maybe the further, uh, further the state of being happy, right? Blessedness. Uh, even more so in context, the experience of being a child of God. How blessed is the man? So we have blessed, now we have man here. Uh, man is singular, therefore the author is kind of having uh, someone in mind. There is a man in mind that the author has, and this may be uh, the godly man, maybe what we'll call the truest man, uh, we read that the, of this blessed man, and we're gonna unpack it here in a little bit, but he kind of seems perfect, okay? It's like all of his righteousness and, and perfection here, kind of ideal. Uh, so here is the blessed man, and we'll kind of dig more into this uh, in a little bit. But the blessed man, now we jump into the rest of verse one, verse two and verse three, we begin finding out, okay, what happens here with this blessed man? What, what does he do? What, what happens to him? Um, and we come across um, the first depiction of this blessed man, and it is in the negative, right? So he does not. We come across three sets of three, okay? We see, um, we see walk, sit, stand, counsel, path, seat, and wicked sinners scoffers. In those three lines, there's three sets of three. Um, and of course, they're all put in the negative because this is what the blessed man does not do. So let's see what he does not do. We start with walk, right? The blessed man, who, you know, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So. Walk, stand, sit. Uh, we really see kind of a progression from lesser to fuller. 
And it seems to be that this is the progression of sinners or the progression of sin. Okay, so walk. Uh, remember, we're, we're dealing with poetry here, so he's giving us a picture in our head. Uh, walk, what kind of picture might we be getting? Uh, well, this may be uh, maybe like passing through. Okay, someone is walking. They're just kind of walking, going by. Maybe they're going somewhere else, but he's walking. Um, and then it says that uh, he, he does not, but he's walk in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, so he's, there's kind of this passing through and there's really just this hearing of advice. Okay, so something that may be a little bit lesser, but we'll see a progression. So from maybe just passing by and hearing advice, we then go into standing, right? So nor stand in the path of sinners. This would uh, maybe... Uh, go from just passing by to staying. Okay, he's, he's standing. Um, he's staying. Maybe now he's thoroughly considering uh, the way of sinners. So he goes from walking, standing. Now he's sitting. Uh, he, does, uh, he doesn't just walk. He doesn't just stand. He sits. Now we get a picture of someone who's really just planted right? They're here, they're here to stay, they have a seat at the table of the wicked. And they're kind of now partaking. So we see this progression, um, and it's not just parallelism or poetic repetition, but we see progression now in uh, the way of the wicked. Uh, But it is uh, not this for the blessed man, okay? So, um, Uh, Therefore, the influence of sinners takes no effect and has no place with the blessed one. It's kind of what we begin. We see this picture uh, of of walking, standing, sitting, and then we see that the blessed man doesn't do these things, uh, and we see that the influence of sinners takes no effect and has no place with the blessed one. So then, this is kind of what he doesn't do, but what, what does he do? Okay, what, what is really maybe the description of him? How could we really define, uh, maybe even in a positive way? We get to verse two. Verse two reads, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So verse two, uh, this kind of brings us to our first point in the text this morning. Uh, we see the blessed delight in God's word, the blessed delight in God's word. Now, so we're not just merely talking about the flip side of what he doesn't do, but rather we kind of get to the core of what it means to be blessed, delighting in God's word. The blessed one's counsel is in God's word and in his wisdom. We see blessedness and delighting go hand in hand. His delight, what does this mean? Uh, delight meaning uh, pleasure, right? It's his, his pleasure, God's word, that's where his pleasure is, um, his, even his desire. But then it kind of, this word it kind of entails all of these, these things. It, it's his purpose. His values um, are in the law of the Lord. This is delighting in the law of the Lord. Pleasure, del- de- uh, desire, purpose. In making the law of the Lord as one preacher once said, his rule of life. So the the law of the Lord is the rule of his life. It rules his life. This is what this this rich word of delighting means. 
the rule of his life. Um, in other words, we could kind of sum it up to say it this way. His will is to do the law. So this delighting is not just kind of like, like oh, that I think about it. I kind of delight in it. No, it's, it's more of a, a doing. His will is to do the law. Further, of course, it says that he meditates on it day and night. It never leaves him, his thoughts, his speech, his intentions, his actions. The blessed one is consumed by the Lord's wisdom and his word. We continue now into verse three. Uh, The blessed man who delights in the law of the Lord prospers. So verse three reads, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he prospers. The blessed man who delights in the law of the Lord prospers. So we move into now this imagery of a very strong, healthy, fruitful tree. Of course, trees, gardens, vines, branches, uh, bearing fruit, these are all super important and uh, common or familiar uh, pictures, biblical pictures throughout all of scripture. And we see it here. Uh, This is a tree that yields fruit that is seasonable. It's mature. It's full of flavor. This is good fruit. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. It's seasonable fruit. And then we read a poetic emphasis. Uh, Not only is the fruit excellent and seasonable, but further, the leaf doesn't even wither on this tree. The fruit is great and the leaf doesn't even wither. Okay, this is a, really a reflection on God's perfect law and that his word does not wither, but his word gives life and his word bears fruit. So the source of blessedness, this blessed man we're talking about, the source of blessedness is delighting in the fruitful word of God. And then this is our, our second point. Uh, we know then that the blessed prosper. Okay, so the blessed delight in God and his word, but then we also see this results in that the blessed prosper. Uh, this prosperity, of course, we really need to define that. What is prosperity? Uh, prosperity is not essentially or necessarily uh, the physical prospering or maybe financial prospering, but is a spiritual relational prospering that this blessed man has. Um, It's not really about what you get, but just his prospering. This is who he is, is a spiritual thing that may or may not be physical, but we know that it doesn't have to exclusively be a prosperity thing of of physical uh, things. Uh, This brings us really now to the great contrast of our text. This is the blessed man. We see that the blessed delight in the law of the Lord and the blessed prosper. Okay, this is a blessed man. But then we come to verse four, uh, and this is the great contrast in our text. We will now see the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. So if the blessed are delighted and the blessed prosper, then let us look at the second half and see how the wicked are dismayed and the wicked perish. Verse four, the wicked are not so. So clear contrast here. We're gonna kind of see everything that the blessed man is, 
this wicked, uh, wickedness is, is the opposite. Okay? The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. At this point forward now, the psalm terms, turns to talking about the wicked. Uh, we are also now introduced to groups of people. Okay, so the first three verses were really in the singular, kind of about this blessed man or this blessed one. We now turn to the latter half of the text, which is about groups, the wicked and the righteous. Okay? Uh, two groups of people. So who are the wicked? Well, it's clear they are anyone who is opposite of the blessed man. Uh, they are ungodly. They are guilty. Everything that the blessed man does in verses one through three, the wicked are the opposite. If the blessed man is a firmly planted tree, then the wicked are chaff that the wind drives away. So what is chaff? Another uh, familiar biblical picture that we get. Chaff is really uh, the husk, which is really the leftover part of the grain that is separated after winnowing, okay? So this essentially means that it's like worthless debris. You get the good thing, and then there's this chaff that just kind of flies away, and it gets taken away by the wind. It's, it's really, especially in the Bible, um, is worthless debris. So we see the end of the wicked man. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked end up as worthless debris. While the blessed are truly delighted, the wicked are dismayed. We're gonna bring up Matthew chapter five, verses one through two, or 12. If you guys can bring that up on the screen. Um, we come now here, this is Matthew chapter five. We're probably also very familiar with this. This is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. A lot of similar things going on. Jesus talking about what it means to be blessed. Uh, we'll read this together. Uh, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, how blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. So this blessedness we see from blessed ones, blessed ones, there is a reward. There's a reward. It's great in heaven. Rejoice, Jesus says. You will rejoice because there's a reward for you. The point is, though, that this is not so for sinners, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, and of course, sinners likewise will not be in the assembly of the righteous. There is no reward for the wicked. Rather, when all is said and done, they will be dismayed. That may be putting it lightly, but the truth is that they will be the opposite of delighted. The blessed are delighted. They delight in God, his word, his way, 
And in the end, they will be rewarded and they will continue to delight in the Lord, but the wicked, they will never be delighted. They will be dismayed. There will be no delight for them. Not only will the wicked be dismayed, but further, the wicked will perish. It's our fourth point, the wicked will perish. This is twofold. Um, Of course, the wicked themselves perish, the wicked person perishes, uh, but also note that it says the way of the wicked will perish too. This is verse six, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Obviously, the wicked person will perish, and they perish because they are wicked, Um, but all of those who stay on and continue in the path of the wicked will themselves perish too because the way of the wicked is destined to perish. So this is kind of the explanation, the exegesis of our text. We see the the blessed delight in God's word while the wicked are dismayed. And we see that while the blessed prosper, the wicked perish. Therefore, as we kind of walk through this psalm verse by verse, we can clearly see there are two options that are presented, okay? They're presented to us the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. The Bible is very clear on this point throughout Scripture. Um, There is no middle ground. You are either counted as righteous, thus living the new life, living God's life, or you are living your own life, your own way, apart from God, stuck in your sin, dead in your sin. There is no other options and there is no neutral position. You are either counted as righteous or counted as wicked. But uh, we must take a little uh, further look at this text. Uh, And that's what we're gonna dive into, kind of this theological part. We could walk, we could stop here. We could walk away from the text reading this psalm really with a merely moralistic kind of interpretation, right? In other words, I can read this psalm and I can know either uh, to be a good person or a bad person, right? I don't wanna be counted with the wicked, so then if I wanna be a good person, I do all the things, right? What did this psalm say to do? Well, okay, I'll, I'll stay away from the counsel of the wicked. I'll stay away from the influence of sinners, Maybe I won't do things with sinners. I read my Bible, I bear fruit, etc. These are kind of the things we're used to. And that's a very moralistic uh, interpretation of the text. Walk away with just some more things to do. Uh, But is there more? So at this point, we will uh, look into the text a bit more theologically. And um, I see, at least, maybe you will see, there is a dilemma found in the first three verses. So we're going to ask two questions. Have you ever met this man? Let me read it again. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. He's never done that. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. This is really the kicker. He meditates day and night like all the time, meditating on the law of the Lord, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, that sounds great, which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he always prospers. 
Have you ever met this man? He's perfect. He's ideal even. So now we have some questions as we read our Bible. First question is this, who is this man? It's the first question we're going to ask. And then a follow-up question really is, and how do I become like him? So we'll treat those in order. Who is this man? Now, I've got a few options we can kind of roll through to kind of test this theory. Um, Adam, Noah, our father Abraham, the great leader Moses. How about King David? Maybe it's you and me. Is that who this is supposed to be in verses one through three? Well, uh, let's look at this. So Adam, last time I checked, uh, there was a garden. I see that in the text here. There were fruitful trees. There were streams of water. It was perfect. But then that man fell out of the blessed state. So no, I don't think it can be Adam we're talking about here. How about Noah? During Noah's days, uh, the wickedness of man was ever growing. There was always evil all the time, right? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The whole uh, building an ark and the flood thing happened. Most of us know that story. Noah gets off the ark, builds an altar. The Lord blessed it and the Lord made a covenant. Okay, maybe we've got something here. But then the next thing you know it, Noah gets drunk and then he starts again to curse. And then we have cursing and blessing. I don't think this can be Noah. Um, how about Abraham? Our father Abraham, right, believed God by faith and was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness. Right? Kind of the whole covenant thing and circumcision. Abraham's a pretty big guy in the Bible, but this guy lied about his wife being his sister, right? Not to mention Sarah laughed at God and both of them doubted God and his promise to them. So I don't think this can be Abraham either. We're talking about, how about Moses, right? I mean, he, he, he was a kind of a special guy, right? Um, he got all the stuff, right? He did a bunch of good stuff, a lot of cool stuff. Um, but for all the good he did, he was still, what? A murderer, we know that, right? He, he even smashed the stone tablets. I think that's a pretty big deal. Um, and in frustration, he struck a rock and disobeyed God. And then, of course, the kicker is that in the end, Moses wasn't even permitted into the promised land, right? Um, so not Moses. Finally, I mean, maybe David. Let's look at David. David wrote the psalm. Maybe he's kind of talking about himself and this blessed life that he's found, um, Right? Maybe he's just speaking about himself in his own life. Unfortunately, uh, the reality is that David always continued to be a sinner. He was an adulterer, and David was a murderer. So no, we're definitely not uh, talking about either of these guys. I think this goes to show the point that this is not you or me either. If they couldn't do it, I don't think you and I could do it either. So we must be talking about someone greater in these first three verses. And it's at this point, surely you know that I have set us up for this question, who is the man we're talking about in verses one through three? Well, the man is Jesus, the perfect man. Here in the Old Testament, a picture, a foreshadow, a description of the blessed one. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, and the Son of Man. Therefore, now, this is, this is where it becomes a big deal for you and me, we don't read our Bibles with abstract ethics, okay? We read our Bibles concretely in the reality of the incarnation, 
right? This is Jesus. So let's look. This blessed man, Jesus is the blessed man, right? Who lived the perfect life and walked in perfect submission to the Father. We're gonna read a few verses from John's gospel. John 5.30 says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 6.38, John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He is this blessed man, Jesus is, who we read in verse one. The wicked, the sinners, they do not have any influence or power over him. Satan could not even deceive him like he deceived Adam in the garden. Jesus lived the perfect life. He delighted in the law and in his father's will. He was not led astray by Satan or sinners. He came to accomplish and fulfill the law. Jesus is this blessed one. So then we can work our way into verse two. Jesus is the true king. And again, if you have time later, go and read Psalm 2 as well. This will help us connect the dots even more. But Jesus is the true king. Uh, the king knows and walks by the law. And in Jesus' case, he is the word. Um, let's read Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 19. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of his law and these statues. Of course, when this was written, it was speaking about um, the physical, actual kings in history, but of course, Jesus comes and he fulfills all of that um, he is the true king. And so here we see it would make sense in verse two that Jesus is this king. He is, uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord to know it, to meditate on it day and night. Um, and of course, it's fitting that Jesus is the word himself. Verse three, we get that imagery, that picture of uh, the, this kind of garden, this tree, this fruitful tree. And we see that Jesus is the source of, of life. Proverbs 3.18 says, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold fast to her. Jesus is this tree in verse 3. John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And John 15, one through six, more biblical imagery of this tree and fruit bearing. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Each branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word which I have spoken to you abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. 
for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them, cast them into the fire and they are burned. Jesus is this tree in verse three and he bears fruit. And further, he produces fruit through you and me. So that's our first question. Who is this man? Verses one through three, clearly, this is the God-man, Christ Jesus. So then, what do we do with this? What do we do with the Bible? Our, our next question hopes to address that. It's also kind of the title of the message this morning. So then, how do I become like this man? How do I become blessed? The answer is simple. By taking refuge in the blessed one. The truth we couldn't do it, so God did it. And we partake in what he's done. Let's read Psalm 32, verses one through two. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered? How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and who, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalm 34, eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And of course, Psalm 2, verse 12, do homage to the son so that he may not become angry and you perish in the way of the wicked for his wrath may, be, uh, may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. I don't have time to unpack all of this, but as I made mention, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are a unit. Psalm 1 begins with, how blessed is the man, and Psalm 2 ends with, how blessed are all who take refuge in that man, in him. So how do you become like this man? How do you become blessed? Well, it's very easy. Take refuge in Christ. You become blessed by being in the blessed one. In Christ, by faith, we inherit his righteousness. And in Christ, we now have new life. I'd like us to reflect on what Paul says in Romans 6, 1 through 11. Of course, we are jumping into um, a very large uh, conversation and information that Paul is explaining, but it relates to kind of us here this morning. Um, Paul says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through his baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in uh, the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him and in order that our body to sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, 
Uh, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, we see from that text, Jesus lived the perfect life. He died the perfect sacrificial death. In Christ, we are dead to sin, and in Christ, we are alive in God. In Christ, we now live in the blessed one and walk in the newness of life, because verses one through three, I can't do that on my own. That description there, that perfect man, that idealness uh, of him, that righteousness, that perfection, I can't do that. Verses one through three, that's not me. That's not you. I can't do that myself. I can only do this because Christ has done it. So then Psalm one, one through three, which is about Christ, now becomes our reality not so much in a moralistic way of do's and don'ts, but in a relational way with our union with Christ. Jesus was the perfect human. The most perfect and truest sense of what it means to be human, that's what Jesus is. And that's how you and I were created to be. But on our own, left to ourselves, we are just sinners. Apart from Christ, I'm actually the wicked man we find in Psalm 1. Apart from Christ, that's, I fit the bill for that one. But verses 1 through 3, that is Christ. Without Christ, I am not blessed. So then we aim to walk how Jesus walked. We aim to live how Jesus lived. And we now walk in the newness of life. We walk in the new man who has made us alive to God. Therefore, take refuge in in Jesus Christ, the blessed one. The worship team can make their way up now as we kind of bring things to a close. Some final thoughts, really. Um, If you are a Christian, right, you are in Christ, please don't leave this morning without acknowledging and thanking Jesus as your perfect servant. Jesus wants nothing more than a deeper relationship with you. It is really that simple. We can preach that every single Sunday. That's what he wants. He wants that with you, a deeper relationship with you. So one practical way to do Psalm 1, for those of us who are in Christ, practical way to do Psalm 1 is to delight in the scriptures. The blessed life will never be found apart from the word of God. So go to your Bible, meet with Jesus. He wants to give you life, and he wants to show you the way of the blessed man. So delight in the scriptures and experience your union with Jesus Christ. But maybe you're here this morning, um, Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You haven't placed your faith in him to save you uh, from your sins. And as a result, 
Um, you don't know Jesus, and you don't really know anything about this blessed life or this way of righteousness. If that's you this morning, um, we'll be up here, and we'd love to talk with you if you want to talk about that. So uh, let's sing, and let's respond.